I'll state what we believe is true. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And uh, we trust the Bible. Not simply out of blind obedience, but we trust the Bible because Jesus, you trusted the Bible. And we trust you. And so we know the Holy Spirit, if all Scripture is like Scripture tells us, it's, it's, it's God-breathed. If you breathe life into these words, that means there's life to be found. But we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate or to turn up the volume on some of these things so we understand and we see things um, in a way that brings us life, power, and all that you can put inside of us because your Spirit's in us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. June 6, 1944. My slide. Do I have my slide? There we go. D-Day operation of June 6, 1944 brought together the land, air, and sea forces of the Allied armies, American, British, Canadian, plus others, and what became known as the largest amphibious invasion in military history. The operation, given the code name Overlord, delivered five naval assault divisions to the beaches of Normandy. The beaches were given a code names Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and Sword. The invasion force included 7,000 ships, landing crafts, manned by over 195,000 naval personnel from eight allied countries. Almost 133,000 troops from the United States, British Commonwealth, and their allies, allies landed on D-Day. And amazingly, there were no casualties. Perhaps a few scratches, bumps, and bruises, but nothing serious beyond that, because there was no enemy. As a matter of fact, when they arrived at the beaches of Normandy, they were met by hundreds of French and German citizens on vacation at the beach. Beach chairs, umbrellas, and frisbees could be seen up and down the beaches. The air smelled of suntan lotion. Small children were building sandcastles. While some of the Allied troops were a bit confused, many were not. Sure, they had been forewarned about the reality of the vicious and brutal enemy. Some of them believed the German army did indeed exist, but others just weren't convinced that they themselves had not seen this supposed enemy with their own eyes. Maybe it was all an exaggeration by their superior officers as a way to scare them into obeying orders. So obviously, I changed the story, right? Because the real story ends this way. Allied casualties on June 6th have been estimated at 10,000 killed, wounded, and missing in action. 6,000 Americans, 2,500 British, 946 Canadians. Over the following days, Allies extended their foothold but a lot of people died, right? 226,000 casualties, 72,000 killed or missing. So the first part of my make-believe story was just big invasion. And, oh, there's no, there's no enemy. It's actually, this is, what, why are we here? And we were told this, but that's not true. And I'm sure, Ollie, when I started reading about the, the beach, you know, sandcastles and things like that, you're probably, it's probably like, wait, obviously, it's not true. But the reality is, there was an enemy, right? There was an enemy. The enemy was brutal and needed to be fought, be made aware of, and defeated, right? So today, my, my sermon title is this, You Have an Enemy. And I'm using that illustration from D-Day initially because I think, I don't think, I know, for me, and I'm guessing some of you, sometimes we forget that. We're not sure what this mission is we're on. Yeah, with, you know, there's feeling that might need to be set free because they're held captive, but what about me? And do I have an enemy in my life, or is that simply a little exaggeration? Was it simply uh, ancient superstition? 
And if I have an enemy, what does that mean about my life? What is today? January 14th, 2024. What does it mean about your life? And if we have an enemy, does that, does that change something about how we live, how we think about our relationship with Jesus, how we think about details and circumstances and events in life? Because we have an enemy. If you don't have an enemy, then it's like, okay, then Christianity is one thing. But if we do have an enemy who is active, then Christianity means something completely different. So, and the reason I'm talking about this today, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a series right now. I'm just kind of, my senses right now, I'm just going to wait and see what God wants me to talk about. I do, I do different things I look at during the week. I might start a series soon, but this one particularly. So I'll tell you where this came from. Just, it came from a number of things, but in the last, I'll just say last two weeks, three of our family members had really unusual hard time sleeping with heightened anxiety, disproportionate to the anxiety they should have had, Right? I won't say which of my family members. And some people had some bad, bad luck happen. And there's other things. And my wife and I actually one day a few weeks ago just said, I, f- I think this might be some spiritual attack on those we love, our family or whatever. And you might think, and I might think at times, maybe sometimes there's things beyond coincidence that we should at least pay attention to that maybe there is an enemy who's trying to do something. So my wife and I started praying for our family in certain ways because we thought, this is unusual. So there's that, and there's also some people, um, some, some of you maybe even, there's maybe things have happened to your life. Maybe there's been trauma, I'll say capital T trauma, an 88-point font, maybe some kind of abuse, some kind of real pain in your life. Others have us have trauma or evil things done to us might be smaller e but we still feel like something's been against me and how do you explain the big t traumas or the big evil things that some people somebody some of you here may have had happen to you what do we do with that or do we just relegate the enemy satan the devil do we relegate that to some degree of christian superstition that is okay for those people who are a little bit overly sensitive, but the rest of us, we just need to, you know, grit our teeth and figure it out, right? So I'm going to read today just from, there's a, uh, John 17, and this, I'm going to have a few slides this week. This is like, I have two slides, this and another one, and they, they both say you have an enemy, because that's, if you remember nothing else about this morning, I want you to remember you have an enemy, all right? So in John 17, what's just happened is Jesus, it's the last supper um, and I kind of want you to take it out of the, the painting kind of thing, but it's Jesus, the 12 disciples. He knows what's going to happen that night. He's going to be arrested, uh, tortured, beaten, bloodied, and then he's going to be crucified the next day. Of course, he's going to be resurrected. But he has, it's, the, it's the Passover meal. That's why they're gathering. It wasn't the let's gather before I get crucified meal. It was, and they didn't know it was the Last Supper. But that's when Jesus, Jesus knows something's going on, obviously. He knows what's going to happen. The disciples are probably a little bit off. 
because they know that Jesus is acting a little bit different. Not weird, just different. And this is when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and he kind of gives them some challenge about leadership and upside-down servant leadership. And then um, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then Judas is kind of gets identified in an odd kind of way, and Judas leaves. So now it's just Jesus and the eleven. And so by then, you've you got to sense there's something about the disciples. They know something is a little more intense right now. Something's going on. They didn't know what. They, they asked Jesus all kinds of questions. Where are you going? Why, what, I don't understand what you're talking about. They didn't understand. Like, we often don't understand what God's doing in our lives. But then it, by the end, Jesus ha- gives, he gives them like a talk. So imagine a table with 11 guys. And typically they would sit on the floor, kind of on pillows or whatever, and and he told them about the Holy Spirit. He told them about you're going to have the Holy Spirit. But then at the very end, it said he prayed. And people, John 17 is referred to the high priestly prayer, which to me, I don't, that's just, a, that's not the Bible term. It's a term that's been given. It sounds a little bit too church, churchy to me sometimes because it makes it sound like that's a church kind of thing. But it was Jesus praying for his disciples, including us. That's what it was. It was Jesus' kind of most laser-focused prayer. So there, he, it said he'd said all this stuff, and then John 17, I can have the wrong page. He started, it says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and then John 17 is this prayer. And he's, so he's looking up to heaven. I don't know if he has his hands up, but he's looking up to heaven. And I don't even know, we don't know if in those, you know, you know, bow your head and close your eyes. That's not a biblical statement. But we don't, so I don't know what the, if the disciples were looking at Jesus when he was praying. We don't know. But he looked up to heaven, and he starts off his prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. And then he talks about other things. He mentions other things. But this prayer, uh, we often talk about the Lord's Prayer, which is really good, because they, they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then he told them. But John 17, I think, is a really good, really good challenge if we want to be kind of people who pray like Jesus. He told us to pray the Lord's Prayer, but John 17 is like his deepest from his heart prayer for those people like us who are going to follow him. So he prays for a variety of things, but I'm going to focus on one thing he prays for. So if he's praying for it now, it must be really, really important. I mean, Everything Jesus prayed for is really important. I'm not trying to say other prayers were less important. But this is kind of right before it was a big time. It was a significant time. So in part of uh, John 17, I'm going to, I don't have my reading glasses on, so I'm trying, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll get it correct. John 17, verse 9. This is still a continuing of prayer. It says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. And they're, they're all in front of him. All who are mine belong to you, and you've given me, so they bring me glory. Now, I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in the world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You've given me your name. Now protect them. It's kind of a big word in this. Now protect them by the power of your name. So protection. There's like four different things he asks for in this prayer that are major asks. He asks of God for his disciples. One of them is protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name you gave me. I guarded them, same kind of term, I guarded them so that not one of them was lost, except the one headed for destruction, Judas, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you, 
I told them many things when I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. So he's praying and they're listening. And he says, don't, I'm not asking you to give them like an escape path. I'm going to ask you to protect them from the evil one. And let's put ourselves in, you know, John and Peter, put ourselves in their heads. What would they have been thinking when he was praying that? I'm sure they weren't thinking, wow, that seems a little superstitious. That's a little weird. Protect them from the evil one. That's the, that's the phrase for the day, protect them from the evil one. Because that's how Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for them, but he's praying for us that way. Actually, I've done this for a number of months now. I use this phrase every Tuesday to pray for my wife and kids. Protect them from the evil one. That's not the only thing I pray. Sometimes I'll think of some of you on, on Tuesdays, and there's a reason I do Tuesdays. I won't explain that now. But protect them from the evil one. Because I thought, if that's the way Jesus prayed for his disciples, it's probably a really good way for us to pray for those we love, especially if we have children, big children, small children, grandchildren, even just friends. Protect them from the evil one. I mean, if Jesus prayed that, I mean, I'm not opposed to, although sometimes I am, you know, sometimes I'll be in a situation, God, just thank, help us have a good day, that, that kind of prayer. Yeah, we want to have a good day, but, and I'm not saying every time you pray with somebody, we need to be praying for protection of the evil one, but it seemed like Jesus had some different ways of thinking about praying for us. He didn't pray for us just pray that these disciples have a really good day. You know, he prayed for protection was one of the major things he prayed for. He said, I've protected them, Father, now would you protect them from the evil one? So what would they have been thinking? Well, right away, the disciples, if you were one of the disciples, you might think of some of the things that had happened in the last three years when it came to the evil one. And whether or not it was make-believe or not, because Jesus talked about the evil one. He used different terms at different times. When he taught them, the, I mean, for, well, first of all, Jesus, his beginning of his ministry, he was in the desert with Satan, and he was being tempted by the evil one. Well, the only way we, any of the biblical writers know that is Jesus must have told them. They didn't just make it up. He they must have told them. He must have told me I was 40 days, and the evil one was tempting me. Satan was tempting me. The devil is what the, the scripture calls. So let's just anchor it first, and does Jesus believe in the devil? All right, so he talks about that. Then when, he, when they ask him how to pray, he said, Part of the prayer of the Lord's Prayer is um, deliver us from evil. Then when he talked about the parable of the seed, he talks about those who believe, but then the evil one snatches the seed, and they don't believe. It doesn't grow deep. Then one time he sends the disciples out on like an evangelistic mission, and they come back, and they're all excited because they were healing people. And actually... Some of the disciples said, even the demons are obeying when we say, tell them to leave. And Jesus says, I saw, in response, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. In other words, I, so Jesus is talking about Satan. He's always talking, the evil one. There's a woman who was uh, crippled, and Jesus says she was been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. So Jesus is using Satan evil one, like he believed it was real. 
some might say, well, that was just the, I've, I don't think anybody here would believe this, but others you might know might say, well, that was just kind of the belief of the day, you know. Since when did Jesus give in to the cultural norms of the day and not do things that he knew were more aligned with reality? Jesus wouldn't be like, well, I'm just going to fit into the psychosis of this culture. They don't really understand it really more as psychological stuff. And, no, he was using those terms. He called, he called the Pharisees, your children of the devil. And he said, because he, he, and he talks about Satan like a real person, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's consistent with his character. He's a liar and the father of lies. And then Jesus in John 10 talks about the thief's purpose. The thief now, thief purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give them life and life abundantly. So now we have evil one, devil, Satan, thief. And then... Jesus even says to Simon Peter before his crucifixion, before Jesus' crucifixion, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like Satan, like some real being is going to be putting Peter, and I think he does this with us as well, through the grind, like testing. Like when Satan said to God about Job, he doesn't really, he doesn't really believe you, God. You're, you're, just, you're giving him a cushy life. That's why he follows you. And then Job goes through all this stuff, and he still follows, still follows God. And I think that was when Jesus was saying that about, about Peter. Satan wants to show me, Jesus said, that your faith isn't real. But then Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you. Satan has asked to sift you like me, but I'm going to pray for you. I have no doubt Jesus prays for each of us in those kind of ways. Satan wants to put you to the test, see what's really there. But I'm going to pray for you. And then, and also in Luke, Jesus says, I, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So obviously Jesus believes in the enemy, the evil one, Satan, the devil, the thief. And he's not using it as just some kind of excuse for problems in our lives. So he must be real. Um, and again, if, if there's not an enemy, then some of the things that he says or the other writers in the New Testament say are just kind of weird. If he's not real, you know, um, Peter says, you know, watch out, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a lion to devour you. Well, if that's not real, then it's just kind of, that's, that's kind of a fun story, Peter, but it's probably not real. So either it's real or it's not. And Satan, other things the scripture tells us he does is he, he deceives, he tempts, he divides. He's really good at accusing. You think you're a Christian? Look what you did. Look at your past. There's no way God knows he loves you. He accuses, and then Jesus even said he kills, steals, and destroys. So there's, there is a reality in the world today who is opposed to any life inside of you and inside of me. If there's not an enemy, then the story doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like if you took the Joker out of the Batman movies, the stories don't make sense. If you took the Wicked Witch of the West out of Wizard of Oz, the story doesn't really make sense. If you took the White Witch out of the Narnia stories, it may not make sense. If you took Sauron out of the Lord of the Rings, it doesn't really make sense. If you took Darth Vader out of Star Wars, it doesn't make sense. Or the story just feels like, well, it's kind of... But maybe those stories resonate with us, the stories that have an enemy that's overcome, 
and, and, and destroyed by something good, maybe those stories resonate with us because that's our story. And we know that. And we feel that. But of course, it feels weird to say to somebody, I think this, I mean, even when, when my wife and I, this is last, two weeks ago, last week, I can't remember, and I said to her, I think this might be spiritual warfare. It, even as my wife, I felt weird saying it like, is this weird? Because I don't want to be weird. You know, I don't want to see it, you know, Satan behind every, every time I, you know, trip down the stairs is that Satan pushed me. I'm not going to do that, but it's like, because we're doing something? There was a, this is ages. Who, who in here knows who Flip Wilson was? All right, all the people over 60 raised their hand. He was a comedian. He used to always say, the devil made me do it. Like, I'm, so I'm not saying every time you do something bad or stupid or everything, the time your water breaker breaks, it's not the devil doing it. But I am saying maybe raise your awareness or your alertness, or your willingness to say, maybe this is a spiritual attack. And for those of you who have kids and or grandkids, they might be like, oh, I, maybe an attack there. Because why would Jesus pray for protection from the evil one unless we needed it? He's not going to pray for protection. I mean, I, I, if the Germans didn't exist in Normandy, then we don't need to be worried about protection for the troops. But if he's praying for protection from the evil one, and that's a significant part of this prayer that he prays before he goes to the cross, that might be a prayer that we need. Protect me from the evil one. God, protect my wife from the evil one. Protect Drew from the evil one. Protect them. There's something real about what we're asking for there. Because it's, again, if it's not, if it's not true or not real, then forget about it. But if it's real, then what do we do about it? I mean, C.S. Lewis, great British writer, used to say that Satan, he didn't used to say, he said, he's dead, so I guess he used to say it. He said that Satan, there's two different errors we can fall into when it comes to, he said this in his book, Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape Letters, quick aside here. It's a letter written from a senior demon to a junior demon about how to handle his human. It's fascinating when you think about how, what might be going on in the visible world. It's not weird or goofy, but it gets you to think. But he says, he says there are two errors that we can fall into. One is we just don't believe Satan really is real, or if he is, he doesn't, he doesn't take any note of me and my life doesn't worry about that. That's one error. The other error is when we become obsessed with Satan, and we see him behind every time we get a flat tire or a broken fingernail. That's Satan. That's Satan. And he said those two extremes, the enemy is totally happy about both those extremes. Because this one dismisses him. This one kind of makes him into a caricature. But if he's real, and he knows exactly what it takes to trip up you know, Drew or Tracy or Rebecca. He knows our stories. He knows the lies that he wants us to believe. He knows the lies he's told us to believe. He knows the way he can deceive us. He knows the way he can tell you, yeah, your husband doesn't love you. Your wife doesn't love you. Your kids hate you. And it's not true, but you start believing that because you start getting these lies told to you. Because if Satan is the father of lies then maybe we need to be asking ourselves, what lies 
have I been believing in my story or what lie right now am I being tempted to believe about this person, that person, or, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Is that true? Is he really going to take care of me? Do I need to orchestrate some other financial dealings off the side because I don't know what's going to happen? According to the songs that I found it interesting because the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eve was, did God really say you can't eat of that tree because... I'm paraphrasing. He knows that if you had that, you would have so much more than you have now. And you really would want that. He's holding out on you. That is a primary, if that's the original lie of Satan, then every else, everything else he says to us is a theme and variation on that original lie. God's holding out on you. He's not really good. Or you're on your own. He's not really going to help you. So Satan lies. Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's a thief. Um, if you find, and I, I'm not trying to be overly, I'll just say it. If you find in your life something feels like, like joy is being stolen from you, who, who's the thief of joy? It's not God. If the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, like Jesus says in John 10, then the enemy probably comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In your life, you know, killing something in you, you know, there's, there's probably times, maybe, the, and I'm guessing you all felt this, where you just feel kind of a, a weird darkness over a certain, over a day or over a week or over a few hour period, and you're like, is it something I ate? Did I not get enough sleep? And it might be those things. I'm not saying every time you feel, but it also might be there's some kind of a, deception or he's trying to steal joy from you he's trying to steal peace from you he's trying to accuse you he's trying to tempt you he's trying to deceive you well that's not really what god said i mean that's not really true about your marriage i mean if you want to entertain pornographic pictures i don't think god has any real problem with that i mean all this and they're always slight deceptions um i mean (laughs) Years ago, and I'm not saying I'm immune from this now, but years ago when I was first coming to, came to work as a pastor on campus, this was, I was a pastor for college students. The worst time, not the worst time, a difficult time for young men is in the springtime or in the summer or when women are walking across campus, often with not much on, if you know what I mean. All right? And there were times where I actually would be walking and I'd see a woman coming and you could tell from a distance I think she's beautiful and she doesn't have much on. And I would actually whisper out loud to myself, that's a lie. That's a lie that that's what I need to have fullness of life. And it wasn't like, you know, psycho-spiritual talk, but I was just telling myself what I knew to be true was that's a lie. The enemy's trying to tell me you need that to be happy. So whether it's that woman or that man or that job or that bank account, and if you find yourself overly kind of zealous about, about or overly attracted to that, it, it may be a lie. I'm not saying you, you still don't want that job. I'm not saying you don't want to marry this gal or this girl. But if you're married and there's a gal and a girl, then no, then it's a lie. But that's what he loves to do. So when Jesus, again, when Jesus is praying for the disciples, protect them from the evil one, he was doing that because they were going to be attacked over and over and over again. There was a time, and I'm just giving a few other examples. There was a, there was a time I had, 
I can't remember if it was one night or a couple nights, but I had a dream that was very vivid for me, and it was about something evil happening to one of my kids. And maybe some of you who are parents have had those dreams before. I mean, Kathy had one actually this week about not one of our kids, but somebody we care about. It was a very vivid dream for her about this person having something evil happen to them. So in my case, when I had that dream, and I wasn't trying to be weird, and Kathy understood that, I said, Kathy, I don't, I don't know, but I told her what the dream was. I said, it feels even, I feel awful even repeating the dream because it feels so awful. But I said, maybe we need to be a little more aware the next few days and weeks when we're with our kids. Like, what's happening around them? Who's with them? What's going on? Not hyper, not scared, not like, oh, no, what? but let's just be aware of what might be happening. Because sometimes, just like Scripture, people were warned in dreams. Maybe God's warning you. Maybe, maybe that's not what it is, but I, especially if a dream, if a dream sticks with you, in most dreams you wake up and you're like, oh, I can't remember that dream at all. But some dreams you remember, especially if it's dark, then sometimes even ask God, am I supposed to, is this something you want me to, so it didn't hurt. I just told Kathy, let's just be aware. I didn't say lock the doors and don't let our kids out for two weeks. That'd be over. I just said, just be aware of who we're with, where they are, what's going on, what they're, what they're watching on. I just be aware. So maybe my, my overall challenge of this sermon this morning is just maybe be aware a couple steps more than you are now. Not, not like, oh, it's, Satan just made my starter in my car go out. Not that, but just be aware of ways in which Satan may be trying, or maybe he already is, lying to you, deceiving you, accusing you. He loves to accuse. He's also called the accuser in the Bible. He loves to accuse, and he'll say, you know what? Johnny, you, I know what your past is like, and don't, don't call yourself a Christian now, because I know what you've done. But you're like, no, but I know that's covered by the blood of Jesus. I know, but I still know what you've done. He loves to accuse and say you don't really love Jesus. And he'll bring up facts that you will know are true, but you also know those are forgiven, the cross of Jesus. book of Revelation says, I've overcome that by the blood of the Lamb. That's not me anymore. That's the old me. So I, I don't know all of your stories. I don't know your stories this week. I don't know the dreams you've had. I don't know the senses you've had. But I just, just want to raise, ask, I'm going to encourage you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to raise your awareness. Peter even says, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. And he wants to devour you. That's pretty, that's pretty savage. So, again, it's not be alert like, you know, be afraid. It's just be alert. Live your life, follow Jesus, and be alert of what's going on, not just around you, but inside you. Because that's where, I'm, when I say inside you, I'll put it this way. What, what you hear playing over and over again, I was going to say the tape recorder of your head. I'll just call it the MP3 player of your head. <laughs> We had some cassettes laying on our uh, counter in our house, and my wife's like, our kids would have no idea what those are. And they would, but they'd be like, how do you play it? You know? but, so I used to do the tape recorder of your head, but MP3 player, whatever you want to call it. You know what plays in your head sometimes, and you're like, and often it's self-con- self-condemnation about yourself. Like, and if it's 
a harsh judgment toward yourself, it's probably not God. Because God speaks with conviction, not with condemnation. So maybe review that particular playlist. Or maybe if there's things you're starting to believe about your spouse, your mom, your dad, your friends, your coworker, that you think, I think what I'm thinking, about, there's some reason I'm believing that, but it's been, it's been like the volume's been magnified by 10. Where's that coming from? I mean, the family members of ours who had some trouble sleeping a couple for nights in the last couple weeks with anxiety, the anxiety was real. But it was totally inflated in the middle of the night. And maybe some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So anxiety is real, but Satan knows exactly how to inflate it and how to give it a shot of steroids so that it becomes like so dominating that trusting Jesus in the midst of it almost seems like worthless. So be aware, be alert, and that Jesus promised the thief comes to do this, steal, kill, and destroy, deceive, discourage, depress, whatever. He wants to do that. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant, full of life. That's what he, so that's what he's come to do. So if that's what he wants to do, no wonder the enemy wants to keep that from you. But it's, so it's not about living in fear. It's not about, like, go hiding and lock your doors. It's about, I believe that Jesus has promised me fullness of life. Full satisfaction of life is what he means. Joy and peace. He's promised me that. That's the journey I'm on. And the harder I pursue that, the more Satan will fight it. So just be aware. When you land at Normandy, you will get shot at. When you... I remember one time I decided we were going to start, and I'm not saying Satan is behind everything like this. We were, I decided we were going to give more financially to the church. I made the decision, Kathy and I thought, literally the next day, you know, $600 repair for a water heater. Now, did, did Satan damage the water heater? I don't know. But it does seem like whenever you make a resolve, I will say this, whenever you make a resolve to do something in your pursuit of Jesus... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this more. I'm going to start, I, I, I'm going to stop this particular cinema. I'm going to stop. And you make this resolve, I guarantee you, the next day or two or week, Satan will do something to come right back at that resolve because he doesn't want, he wants you to go back into the life that was status quo, that wasn't really bringing you joy or peace, but you weren't, because you weren't full on for Jesus. But when you decide I'm going to be full on for Jesus with my money, with my habits or whatever else, I guarantee you, you will, you will be, any movement toward freedom and life will always be opposed. Always. Again, it's not a matter of fear. It's a matter of, okay, then let's, if we have an enemy, one, we know Jesus prays for us. He still is praying for us to protect us from the evil one. But I'm just going to encourage you, even if this is the only phrase you use in the next week or so, Pray for your loved ones this way. Particularly the evil one. So I'll close your eyes. And I'm just going to say right now, those of you who have children, and if you don't have children, maybe think of somebody you love, parent, I just want you to, in your head, pray and ask Jesus to protect them from the evil one. I mean, just like I might pray, God, protect Kathy from the evil one. 
God, protect Mark and his wife, Anne, protect Gretchen, protect Allison, protect David from the evil one, protect them from the ways in which he will attack them, accuse them, deceive them, discourage them, or tempt them. Because, God, you said, your word says, God, that the angel of the Lord surrounds those who fear you. And you deliver the angel. Imagine to the invisible. So it, it's a... It's a it's a step, it's a plunge into the invisible world that almost that does feel weird to us. The weird meteor kind of gets a little bit wonky at this point. But if it's true, then that is the pathway we have to go through to find life and life more abundant. So Jesus, we love you. Um, we're grateful that you are a warrior and that you fight for us, you pray for us, you fight for us, and you protect us by the power of your name, and you protect us from the evil one. And thank you for praying for us, Jesus. And we love you. We want to we be a part of the invasion that sets people free. And we know that an enemy is an imminent reality. But we want people, not only our own freedom, we want freedom for those who are currently held in captivity by the power of a savage enemy. We want to see them be set free, Jesus. Wasn't planning this, but I want you to keep your eyes closed. I want you to think of somebody you know right now that is held in slavery to Satan. And that maybe sounds too profound, but you know what I mean. Somebody who you know needs to be set free. So God, with these people we just thought of, God, you... Again, if we're part of this whole, you extend the analogy, if we're part of this whole invasion of Normandy to set people free, that's what you said your mission is to set people free, and now we're part of that mission. So, God, we pray for these individuals we've just thought about, that they will be set free from the kingdom of darkness, set free from their slavery to all the things that keep them from knowing you. So would you open their eyes? Would you set them free? In whatever way you need to use us as avenues of their freedom, then here we are, send us. That's what we want to do. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.